You're listening to a Christian and an atheist walk into a bar. With me is Ty. It's no surprise or no. I screwed it up already. Uh, thank the Colorado Colorado Legislature. I totally screwed this up again. <laughs> I'll get it eventually. Listening to a Christian and an atheist walk into a bar. With me is my co-host Ty. Thank the Lord for Jesus's first miracle involving the creation of alcohol, Gallenbeck, and myself, Jay. Thank the Colorado General Assembly for serving full-strength beer at the grocery store, Stukesbury. Hallelujah! Hey, I got it. <laughs> I was a mouthful. And really, thank you for. Letting full strength beer be served in grocery stores, you know, and it's it's a really controversial subject, actually. It, it really is. I uh, I I lost some friends on that particular issue. I think. Really? Yeah. My mother in law is actually kind of iffy about me too. Wow. Yeah. Because you voted for it. Well, or, there was no vote for it, but I, I support it. Right. I absolutely support it. Um. I and I I get the arguments against it. You know, I get that. People think that this is mostly just a big corporate takeover of beer and things right. like that. And even like I walked into the grocery store the other day and they had a big display of like Oscar Blues and mm. some other really good micro brews for like a really good price for a six pack. And I was like, well, that's a really good deal. <laughs> but uh, at the end of the day, I, I'm always in favor of competition. I'm always right. in favor of if you can find it at a lower price, that's where your consumers will go. Or if they have a choice and they still would prefer to go to a smaller mom pa type liquor store, they'll have that option too. So, right. yeah. And I think this will actually make those liquor stores be able to have more room for some specialty items and a lot of other uh, kind of strange stuff that you wouldn't be able to find otherwise. Right. Uh, I think it'll cause healthy competition mm-hmm. in pricing and it'll also make liquor stores diversify mm-hmm. on what they're carrying because yeah. if you can pick it up for cheaper at Walmart you're going to pick it up for yeah. cheaper so and for the most part people that are shopping let's just be honest if they're shopping at Walmart they're shopping for Bud Light and Coors right. and things yeah. like that they're not going for the yeah. the, the big micro brews or anything like right. that so yep and I am not sure on this, but it's still just beer, right? Not yeah. hard alcohol at all. Uh at this moment, right. It's just okay. it's just for beer. Yeah. So but if you if you travel out of state, if you go to Arizona, right. it's well, amazing what you can get there. Oh, Vegas. Yeah. I, you know, grocery stores in Vegas are yeah. incredible. So no. yeah. California has all their mm-hmm. it's all full strength in liquor stores. Yeah. Yeah. A bunch of people I uh am connected with via social media always post Costco liquor store prices mm-hmm. when they hit and different things that they're selling. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. Well if you couldn't tell by our our initial uh diatribe there from the beginning, uh we're gonna talk about drinking. That's right. Somehow we have gone a full quote unquote season <laughs> and halfway through our second season. That's generous. Yeah, you know. <laughs> uh and haven't yet talked about alcohol yeah uh so yeah i think it'll be a fun topic 
Um, but before that, uh, what we're drinking, mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of a special treat. Yeah. Uh, got lucky and stumbled upon some of the Goose Island uh, Burby, Bourbon County Stout, um, which is their annual release, uh, which this year they had a bunch of different ones. This is just a standard release that they did. They do it Black Friday every year. Um, it's a stout aged in bourbon barrels. Um, and I have had hit and miss uh, scenarios, I guess, with bourbon aged stouts. Yeah. Um, but this one is phenomenal to me. Yeah, it's really good. Um, I can understand why you have hit or miss because, like we were saying before the show, I think sometimes you get one of one of the two that kind of overwhelms it. Like right. you have too dry of the stout or too strong of the bourbon. And this is a good mix. Yeah. It, and it doesn't drink super heavy. Like Mm-mm. it's going to be a gut bomb. Yeah. Um, and I think it's like 14%. So drink. Okay. Carefully. So just one. Yeah. Today. <laughs> I don't remember what this I got to drive home. Yeah. 14.7. Okay. So got proceed it. with caution. Got it. <laughs> it's a sipper. That's right. No. Uh, but as we jump into this, uh, you had, you actually came up with this idea, so I'm going to let you start so okay. I can build off of this, but we wanted to go back to our earliest memory of drinking. Okay. So for me, I'm going to have kind of two stories here. My first memory of drinking actually was when I was five years old. Oh, wow. Uh, and... I had a really bad habit of, of wanting to taste things, uh, and I actually really liked my parents' mouthwash. And I actually ended up drinking an entire bottle of Scope <laughs> by myself, and then laying on my parents' bed, and, and my mom found me, and I was just bent over in pain and sure and just but I smelled wonderful though (laughs) and my mom asked me said what did you do and I said I drink the green juice (laughs) and I actually had to go to poison control and yeah I was wasted off a scope basically wow yeah yeah that's my that's my earliest one you were a truck driver at like age five yeah (laughs) (laughs) but you know what's worse is I actually tried to do it again because my dad told me that you build up a uh, you know, a resistance to it, an immunity to it. So, no, just kidding. Um, and so, one of my earliest, earliest actual like beer drinking memories, non mouthwash drinking, uh, was. I love that that has to be a disclaimer. I know. I have to actually have different. Not a mouthwash. Not drink a mouthwash drink. <laughs> my first, yeah, non scope drunk uh, was the uh, first time the Broncos went to the Super Bowl. We had uh, family friends that were uh, already inebriated from day drinking, so they kind of turned a little loosey-goosey in their rules about beer in the house. And their rules were basically, hey, you know, if the kids are drinking, we know where they're at. They're not driving anywhere. And, you know, they kind of controlled the situation. So that was one of my first memories of just actually getting really drunk was watching the Broncos win the (laughs) Super Bowl. And then they had a, a cul-de-sac that they these folks lived in. And we just went out after the Broncos had won. We just started kind of just like cheering randomly at people coming by. So it was like a, woo, 
brown car, <laughs> woo, kids on bikes. Like that was kind of what the earliest memory I had was far as, and I think it was, what was that, 98, 97, I can't remember now, but yeah, it was high school regardless, okay. yeah. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. How about you? Uh, so my first memory drinking, I don't even think I realized what had happened mm. until the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, but my growing up was definitely like country boy can survive song. Like mm-hmm. that, that was my childhood. Mm-hmm. And so we went to my aunt and uncle's house in Wyoming and they had made homemade peach wine in Jack Daniels barrels. Okay. Um, and my parents were letting me drink that mixed with Sprite. Okay. Um, and it was delicious. Mm-hmm. Like, all I remember was it tasted like a soda. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely remember having multiple glasses of homemade wine and Sprite. And the next morning, I woke up with this incredible headache. Mm-hmm. And, like, my mouth felt like cotton. And I was like... I think I'm hungover <laughs> and didn't have any like real recollection of that whole process taking place. Um, and I was probably, I had to have been like 13 or 14 mm-hmm. when we did that. And then the second one I can remember where I like knew what I was doing, uh, was in high school and playing ping pong with a couple of buddies that came over. And one of them happened to have a couple of six packs of Coors Light and I think I had one of them because I thought it was disgusting. And the other guy that was with me had one of them. And then the third guy that brought him drank the rest of them. And he was like <laughs> running underneath the ping pong table, like trying to steal the ball as we were playing ping pong. And <laughs> so I remember that as well. But, so that's the that's the earliest memories of alcohol I have. Yeah. Well, you you weren't wrong about Coors Light. Well, you know, it didn't change. It didn't change. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so this definitely, I think, is a topic that lands more on my side. Right. <laughs> I was going to say, this is definitely a little heavier for you. Right. Uh, in just the controversy. Because mm-hmm. I don't think there exists a controversy that atheists shouldn't drink. At least not <laughs> one that I know of. Yeah. It's not well published. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Thing involved like two people. <laughs> But they were very vocal. Yeah, about and it. I'm actually kind of curious about that because I know the the uh, overall feelings of it's very mixed, you know, and it kind of depends on which church you go to and kind of the people that you're around with too. And I I know that you are someone who's very open about your use of alcohol. Right. Um, and I'm always curious, kind of, what's your? I guess just as even start off as a question for you is uh, what's the most negative situation you've ever encountered in terms of the religious community and or or another religious individual that you consider yourself close to be with your your choice to drink? Right. Uh, Well, we definitely... um, I mean, the, the one that comes to mind immediately is just... When we started the fundraiser for a local nonprofit mm-hmm. that is religious based, mm-hmm. 
uh, there was some serious backlash mm-hmm. from the Christian community uh, that we would consider doing an event that provided alcohol, mm-hmm. let alone provided, we promoted it. Like, mm-hmm. that's what the whole thing centers around. Right. Um, and there was some serious backlash the first year on that with, you know, pastors sitting down with me talking about how this is not appropriate and mm-hmm. churches discontinuing support of the ministry because of this. Um, and I knew going into that, that we were going to experience that. Sure. But I also knew the broader spectrum that we would open up to would be beneficial. Um, and to show people that not everyone is, you know, Mm -hmm. set in that mindset, I think was good. Um, but definitely had that. I've had some other interesting we had a leader that was with us for a while, an adult leader, um, who was part of a church who was very no alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he actually went away and was on a mission trip for a couple of years. And then he came back and we sat down and we're meeting. And he was very familiar with the fact that normally after we get together, we would go and have a drink and just hang out and talk. Um, and so he came with us and he never used to drink. And so I'm offering him Coke and Pepsi and he's like, actually, I'll take, I'll take a cocktail. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait, what? And he kind of talked through that process and what he had learned being out of the U S and mm-hmm. how that his view kind of changed. That was incredible. Mm-hmm. And then last one, uh, since I'm doing all the talking at this point, <laughs> uh, had a pastor who, was actually my boss at one point, um, who was definitely anti-alcohol. That's his entire upbringing. The minute you know, mm-hmm. the denomination he's part of is very anti-alcohol. Um, and we had had a couple of conversations when he was my employer about alcohol and his negative view of it. And then we went out of country together on a trip. And I was supposed to bring back some rum for a friend um, from the Dominican Republic. And I was like, I don't want to offend you. So if this is the case, like, I, I don't want to do this. And he was like, you know, I've come to the realization that some of the most holy people I know have a beer when they get off work. Mm. So if you need to bring some rum back, just do it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was shocked at that point because yeah. this is someone who was very vocal against it for a long time. So then going back then to your event, which is a great event too, and I've, I've been to many of them, uh, has there been a growth in terms of the attendance and sponsorship to that event with, with the inclusion of alcohol? Uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, the... The spectrum of people we reach is larger, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, well, you got an um, atheist to go to Young Life. I did. <laughs> and we even talk about Jesus at it. Like, yeah. that's crazy. I don't know if you've ever been in the room for that part. I think mm-hmm. you may leave, but, well, you know. I've been there. I've been there. No, I go rushing out right away. <laughs> I'm not going to The first this. mention of his name, I'm gone. I'll even stop mid-beer. <laughs> that's that's not true. That's, that's a, a total lie. lie. I'm sorry. <laughs> Forgive me, Father. <laughs> Uh, I mean, atten- attendance has been good. Um, response has been good. 
And I think the thing I'm most excited about is it has created conversation mm-hmm. that obviously that's what we're all about. But right. it has created conversation where people are starting to look at this. Sure. Because I haven't had people who I had shared drinks with who came to me and was like, this isn't a good idea. Like, mm-hmm. Because of your position, because of what you're representing, you shouldn't do this. Like, I know you drink, I drink, but you shouldn't do this. And to me, I was like, if I feel like I have to hide that side of me, then it's something I'm ashamed of and I shouldn't do it. Right. And so I kind of took the standpoint of if this is something I'm okay with, mm-hmm. then I should be okay with it. Like sure. it shouldn't be something I have to dance around and do that. And I think that's been good uh, because I think it's also allowed, I, there's no other good term other people to come out of the closet and be like, yeah, I drink like Mm -hmm. I, you know, they're there and they're Mm -hmm. celebrating and they're members of the church or they're elders of a church and Mm -hmm. they're there. And it was always this like thing they had to do in secret at their own house or with their close friends that they trusted. And now all of a sudden it's like, you know what, this isn't like this giant sin. Sure. So then those people that you were initially, uh, that were initially kind of critical of the event, have they kind of come around to it now that they're seeing the the result, or are they kind of sticking in? Is there or is it mixed? I, I think it's mixed. Yeah. You know, some of the really vocal um, people that were adamantly against it uh, have definitely not come around. Mm-hmm. I think people have some of those people have seen, even though they may not attend the event or whatever, um, have seen that it's not this super negative drunken fest or mm-hmm. anything like that, that right. it, it really can be a positive thing. One for this nonprofit and two for the community as a whole, it's sure. become an event that I feel like the community is starting to embrace. And mm-hmm. so people are kind of starting to get on board with mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So then I guess I'm, I'm curious then what is the primary objection to alcohol from a religious perspective? Because I feel like the history of alcohol is actually very closely entwined to the religious community. Right. I definitely feel like the negative connotation towards alcohol, especially within the religious community, is in the modern era for sure mm-hmm. um, like it's more of an evangelical yes type perspective uh, i think you know it definitely kind of peaked at prohibition and mm-hmm. people kind of latched on to that uh and people will talk you know there there are frequent eh, frequent maybe too much but there there are regular occurrences of the bible speaking against drunkenness sure uh, which I think people have latched onto that saying, don't drink sure. at all, period. Uh, and then they go as far to say, you know, people, you know, Jesus turned water into wine. Well, it was really just grape juice that wasn't very alcoholic. And I'm like, well, if it wasn't alcoholic, why are people getting drunk on it? Like, mm-hmm. you know, Regardless of the ABV, I mean, it probably wasn't 14.7 like what we're drinking. Sure. But regardless of the ABV, it was still an alcoholic beverage. Sure. And so <clears throat> I don't really know. I didn't grow 
grow up in the church sure. and didn't have that past. Like my parents drank all the time, and mm-hmm. so I never really saw the negative side of that right. um, as far as a religious spectrum. Um, but the more I've dove into it through going to college and through being a, you know, on staff at various churches, um, the history of the church has a lot of alcohol, right. you know, from monks brewing beer and right. everything else. Yeah. So. Well, and I, I went to a Jesuit school and those guys are the drinkingest bunch of religious folks I've ever met. Yeah. You know, like I, I remember they could actually drink me under the table, which, uh, so so yeah, that's why I always find it kind of funny that there's a, um, kind of an objection to it. And I do think that when you talk about drunkenness, there's a scale to that, you know, if, if you are drunk all the time and it, it affects your responsibilities, I think that's a better case in point for drunkenness as opposed to, moderation as opposed to having a drink at dinner as opposed to having a drink after work, you know? Uh, absolutely. And, and I would say, I mean, and you experienced this too when you owned a bar, but when I DJed and I've done weddings and everything, I hate drunk people. Mm. Like, I do not like drunk people. Nothing's worse than being around a bunch of drunk people when you're sober. Yeah, it is not good. <laughs> and so I can very easily see why someone would speak against that. Sure. Because there is nothing good that comes out of that. Yeah. Like, there yeah. really isn't. Uh, uh, I mean, no, no, no. <laughs> I, you could you no, can no, no, no. I'm not going there. I'm not going to go you there because argue. it could be self-incriminating. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, and I, I get, I get the perspective too of of when people get sloppy drunk for sure. But right, um, and you're right. Nothing necess- inherently good comes of it, other than you know, as a bar owner, they they make you money. Well, and yeah. you know. And probably the next day, Waffle Houses and other greasy spoons make some money off of it too. That's true. So drunk people help the economy at some at some level, but uh, you know. So so I actually and another kind of interesting uh, tangent to this too that I wanted to talk about is what's your perspective on drinking as a parent? Because I think that's something that. Uh, when it comes to how we, especially now that we have little ankle biters that look up to us, right. it kind of changes your the your perspective on terms of uh, the things that you do on a routine basis. And for me, I'm not opposed to drinking in front of my son. Um, and we were actually at a restaurant today, and he pulled up one of the, the drink menus and it just had pictures of beer. It didn't say anything about it. it. Just had pictures of beer, and he could actually point out beer, and you know he could actually right. say, "Hey, that's beer." And I want to, at a certain level, normalize it, but I also want to show him what it involves too, because I feel like I, if I have a beer at dinner, that's cool. If I have six beers <laughs> with no dinner. Before and noon. <laughs> yeah, and I'm showing him that's the normal behavior. Uh, then I think he'll have a much different relationship with alcohol, too. And I think one of the worst things you can do, too, is wait for him to go to bed and then only drink and then say, you know what, right. drinking's bad, drinking's bad. But he still checks the refrigerator and sees right. beers inside oh, the absolutely. refrigerator. So 
I think it's really important as a parent to really develop a healthy relationship with whatever it is, you know, whether it's food, whether it's exercise, whether it's alcohol, is just showing it as a normal thing. Right. Um, Because one of my experiences was I I drank in high school. I I probably drank way too much in high school. But when I got to college, I was at a different level with a lot of kids who had never been exposed to it. And they were really quick to go off the deep end right right when they got into college. And I think that's part of the, the binge drinking nature of what happens in the college environment. And I remember kind of like taking a step back at some point and be like, you guys have never done this before? Like, right. call, like slow down. Like, you've already taken, like, six shots, and it's only, like, 7 p.m. <laughs> you know, like, you're going to feel like crap here in a little bit, you know? Right. Pace yourself. So, and as a result of that, I feel like I had a, a, a way different college experience than a lot of people because I didn't have, like, the the rager type of drunkenness that kind of comes with that experience. And I'm not saying that I didn't imbibe and I didn't have those experiences, but I could see it happening on a different scale with a lot of folks who didn't have that experience early on. Right. And I, and I think that's true of almost everything that parents choose to try to overly shelter their children. Yeah, absolutely. If you choose to not have honest conversations, then when they get to experience those things for the first time, it is just zero to a hundred. Right. We're, we're just going to jump in full bore and, you know, Mm -hmm. and when you have those conversations and teach about it at a younger age, I feel like, you're creating a better scenario for when they grew up mm-hmm. and do get a chance to experience it. And like things. you said, that transcends everything. Oh, yeah. Sex. Yeah, yeah exactly. Alcohol. Yeah, yeah all of Faith, it. Faith, religion. Yeah. Like, let's bring it all in here. Like, right. It, if you choose to shelter your children from those things and not have those conversations early on, mm-hmm. then you have set yourself up for... You, you can't hide them from it forever. Right. So they're going to experience at some point. Mm-hmm. And so if you have not taught them to handle that appropriately, then they're not going to. Because mm-hmm. let's be honest, high school and college kids don't handle a lot of things appropriately. Right. So. Right. Well, so then that, that actually kind of brings up an interesting point, too, because you're in a u- unique position as someone who does work with high school kids. Have you ever had kids that like confide in you about these types of conversations that they can't have with their parents? Oh, for sure. Uh, and, and I've had lots of conversations with high school students about drinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the first things I always tell high school kids is when you turn 21, I'll buy you your first beer. Mm-hmm. Like I will buy you your first drink. Like I am totally okay with that. Uh, but the reality is, the world we live in, the place we live in, it is illegal to drink until you're 21. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not going to encourage you to do anything illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're in a position where you're drinking, you know, we've had kids come through our group that parents give them beer when they, you know, are on mm-hmm. vacation or whatever. And, um, you know, I... I can disagree with the laws that are in place and think that should be moved younger, but it 
it's not. I sh I can disagree with the laws that the speed limit should be higher, and mm -hmm. yet I still have to obey those. And so, so then let me ask you this then. Do you think that the, just hypothetical, would you agree with the drinking age being dropped from 21 to 18? I think it should be. Yeah. Like, I, I, I think that should be totally the case. Yeah. Uh, and it was. Yeah. For a really long time. Yeah. I... I do not understand the gap between 18 and 21, like mm -hmm. what those three years do for that. If you're an adult at 18. Yeah, if, if, if you're an adult to handle the responsibility of gambling, uh, smoking, and being, obliter being obliterated overseas, yeah. Yeah. I think you can handle a beer. Yeah, I, I would agree completely mm -hmm. with that. Um, but I don't have any control over that. No. And no. so when I, you know, when I'm trying to teach youth about how to navigate society mm -hmm. part of that is you don't get to agree with how everything is run mm -hmm. but that also means that sometimes you have to adhere to things you don't necessarily agree with sure absolutely um, and that's true to navigate life and this is oh, yeah. maybe one of those so well and it's just interesting too because we're one of the few countries that does have that 21 year old right. age limit and drinking. Like even if you think about like European culture is very much normalized, yeah. you know, everyday uh, life. Yeah. And I, I think, and I'm don't quote me on this, but I do think the rates of like alcoholism, um, alcohol related accidents and deaths and auto accidents and all those things are actually at a much lower level in those countries that do allow it at an early age because it's become more of a normalized thing as opposed to kids who have to hide somewhere, drink a whole bunch, drive back somewhere, you know, those types of situations. Right. Well, and they create, I feel like it creates this, you know, that, that needing to hide it mm -hmm. creates it. I'm going to drink, you know, 750 of vodka so I can not feel anything. Right. And that becomes the norm. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you create an environment where you are enjoying a beer together and the conversation and the community that comes with that, that's a totally different purpose for what that alcohol is used for. Sure. And so when you make it this like illegal sacred thing or whatever you want to call it like mm -hmm. it just distorts what it could be sure and i think actually uh that culture of openness is something that kids really need to so going back to a topic from a previous episode there's they're showing a lot of research about how after the legalization of marijuana in colorado has actually helped kids who struggle with addiction feel more comfortable to come forward with their problems too. So rather than it being a concern of if I say something about this, I'm going to have to face law enforcement, they can say something about it and know that they're going to have more of a public health perspective come towards them, right. which I think is a really big difference there. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I, I don't yeah. know where I was going with that. Yeah. I mean, I think they're, I think with anything, mm -hmm. and we actually talked about this off the air with the last episode, with anything, there's a point where something in excess 
becomes a negative. Right. And that doesn't matter if it's alcohol, marijuana, mm-hmm. you know, uh, anything, exercise, like mm-hmm. fitness, like it, it becomes a negative and, and alcohol is one of those things. Mm-hmm. Like it can have negative effects. Absolutely. Um, but when it is used appropriately, I think it has more benefits than negatives. So and, and another thing built into that too is that there's a lot of genetics built into people being alcoholics too. Does right. your family have any genetic disposition to alcoholism? My dad probably does. Yeah. Yes, I think if you uh, if we looked into it, he would be cons- very yeah. much considered in that. And yeah. so it is something I am constantly aware of. Yeah. Um and take very seriously and you know doing a dry month once a year or whatever that looks like to be able to kind of just take a step back and like analyze and make sure I'm in control and not something else. So, By the way, did you pull that off? I did. Nice. I I mean uh no. I, I mean it, it's fuzzy, but I mean in, in a month with If it's fuzzy then you had too much to drink. <laughs> I mean, in a month with 30 days, I think there was probably 26 days where I didn't have alcohol. Okay, so it was like a, f- a f- good February. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't understand people who do dry de- January. I'd wait one month and make it the shortest month. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> for me and my schedule, September is when I usually try to do that. Yeah. So <laughs> Nice. Well, and kind of building off that point, too, like uh, I, I have a long history of that, too. It's funny because my granddad, when he was researching the genealogy of our name and everything, uh, he discovered, like, he was able to pull, like, the the, um, the obituaries and stories and death certificates of a lot of our oh, wow. family. Like, he spent a lot of time in his later years uh, researching this. And it ended up being that a lot of the, the past Stukesberries died either. I had one relative who died uh, because... He lived in an apartment where the main floor was the bar, and he actually fell off the top of his building and died. Uh, I had one that fell off the back of a wagon because he was drunk and <laughs> got trampled by the the next wagon that came behind them. And uh, and it turns out also our name originate originally was uh, Stokes. It was in a, a small borough in England that turned into Stokes Borough, Stokes Barry Stokes, and it actually because we had a lot of drunks who couldn't spell their name. That's what it turns out too. So yeah, I actually have a, uh, an acute awareness of my genetic disposition for alcoholism right. too. So it is something that you're like you said too. It's like something that you have to kind of keep in the back of your mind. You right. know, like where you have those moments where you are maybe like three beers into a day, you're like, maybe I need to. Stop. Or yeah. like, or you've had like a week where you've had like a beer after work every single day, right. and sometimes it turned into a whiskey. Where you're like, <laughs> okay, here's the point where I'm I'm turning into the drunkenness that I right. shouldn't head that direction. Absolutely, and and I have always said like, from a religious side of things, the only stand that I will ever accept as like for me why I wouldn't drink is if someone came to me with the do not cause another brother to stumble. So if there's someone that, you know, has 
had alcoholism in their past mm-hmm. or has been an alcoholic in their recovery and like those kind of situations like I have no issues of abstaining while I'm around that person sure. like it, and that could be days weeks months you know mm-hmm. of being around that person it wouldn't matter um but to cause someone else to fall into those like I don't I don't want to be responsible for that in any way sure but from a religious side, like I think that's the only argument that I really will accept as like, yeah, I I completely agree with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least of the ones that I've heard. Yeah. So And I think a lot of the time too is that alcohol isn't inherently the problem. Like it it can demonstrate or it comes out when it could be exasperated essentially. Like it's a it's it's a it's a you know it's a feature not the bug right right like there's something else happening with folks at that certain level where even like for my own self because I also have some depression in my family too that I I can see myself if I've gone to a deeper end as far as drinking is concerned I recognize that that's probably not necessarily the drinking is the problem but something else is happening right. too. Um, and drinking ends up being more of the, the outward expression of that as you try to kind of internalize that sort of stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we, we're going to try something new. Uh, (laughs) I don't know how this, (laughs) this transition may get completely cut. I have no idea. Um, we talked about, I'm like, the first episode of this new season, sure. second episode, uh, we don't know because we haven't really because drinking's this involved when we record this. So. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but solving real world problems, real like, world problems, yes, the things that actually matter, and Ooh, that that would and, be a good title for this. Yeah, the things, the things that, that actually, actually matter. matter. Yeah. yeah, and also that the the media ignores completely. I mean, nobody. Where are you, fake news? Nobody is dealing with no. this issue. So. Who's going to deal with it? Your local Christian and atheist podcast. (laughs) Who else? That's right. (laughs) And so today, we have decided to solve the issue uh, of which way the toilet paper goes on the roll. Yes. And, And this is, you know, amongst lots of places, this is a heated argument it has caused divorce. Mm. It has caused people to get fired from mm-hmm. hotel chains. It, yeah, it is a serious thing that needs to be addressed. And I actually, I'm, I'm, I, I battle my wife about this. So. Really? Yeah, yeah. My, I co- hope she doesn't listen to this episode. My college roommate and I had a serious heart to heart about this topic <laughs> um, because we did not agree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, just. So the people at home are aware, Jay and I are on the same side of this topic, and so Mm -hmm. we feel our civic duty is to figure out how to get everybody on the correct side. Right. Right. And the correct side is obviously over. Over the top. It's got to go over the top. Over the top. Yes. That's that's the only way. It does not hang down behind. No. 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 And if you actually go back to the original patent, it actually shows... Toilet paper goes over. Exactly. So, based on original design, uh, (laughs) 
Toilet paper is designed to go over the top, and we have perverted it to the state where there is an option where it goes behind. So how do we solve this problem? Well, actually, I'll defer to you, because you were the engineer that came up with this idea. You actually came up with a really foolproof... Foolproof. Completely foolproof idea how to fix this situation. Yes. All we have to do is every toilet paper roll dispenser you install can only spin counterclockwise. Right. Because then the only way you could actually get toilet paper off the roll would be to spin it counterclockwise or to try to like somehow navigate it and pull up. Right. And no one's going to go through that right. trouble. Like it's right. going to make it too tough. Yeah, so. right. And then it just gets awkward. And if you're really committed to the other way, then you're going to you're gonna do that either way, right? Right. Like if you're convinced that it goes under then you will spend the extra couple of minutes of trying to <laughs> defy gravity, basically. I love how both of us are, like, acting this out like someone could see what we're doing. We're going to have to, like, film a video. Yeah. Of like, I also uh, love the, the look on your wife's face oh, over yeah. your shoulder yeah, right now. Yeah, she's like, what are you guys talking about right now? Um, so that is real-world problems with a Christian and the atheist. <laughs> We have solved another one for you this week. And we have fully jumped the shark right now. (laughs) So, sign us off, Jay. All right. This is a Christian and an atheist walking to a bar. Make sure to follow us at www.christianandatheist.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and the Instagrams. That's right. Uh, And we are here solving one problem at... No, I totally screwed up the end one, too. Solving the world's problem, one One adult adult beverage beverage at a time. time. Cheers. Cheers.